Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, buddy. Oh, hi. How's it going? I'm pretty good. Can I do a whole show like this? Wow. What if I did? From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I am Greta Johnson. Nerdette is a show where we talk to people about their obsessions. People who are scientists and poets, astronauts and adventurers. People who dare to ask big questions and explore the unknown. This week on Nerdette, we're talking with comic Nagin Farsad. She's a total politics nerd, even worked as a policy advisor for the city of New York for a while. But for her, the draw of stand-up comedy has just always been a little too strong. So now she calls herself a social justice comedian. She's trying to figure out how to bridge the gaps between vehemently divided Americans with comedy. I'm an Iranian-American Muslim female, like all of you. And I'm also a social justice comedian, something that I insist is an actual job. Now, to explain what that is, let me tell you how I got here. I've performed all over the country. And let me tell you, America is majestic, right? The American population can be broken up into three main categories. There's mostly wonderful people, haters, and Florida. Now... Besides Florida, the most troubling category here are the haters. Okay? That's Nagin in her TED Talk, A Highly Scientific Taxonomy of Haters. I love taxonomies and haters. Uh, you love haters? Well, I love talking about haters and I love taxonomies. Okay, fair. She also has a book called How to Make White People Laugh. And sometimes you hear her on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me as a panelist. Nagin, we think maybe onto something in the way she is attempting to stitch back together the unraveling tapestry that is America. <laughs> I'm so glad you went with the tapestry analogy. It's so rich. I did it for you because you're a knitter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Nagin hosts her own podcast. It's called Fake the Nation. And there you can find her and other comedians joking about the news. Well, the interesting thing about having a podcast about politics that features comedians is... Like, there's none of the pressures. Even with journalists, there's a pressure of, like, professionalism. (laughs) Yes, indeed. We we don't have that. Uh, We say whatever um, in any fashion we like with whatever kind of language we feel like using that moment. And I think that's part of the thing that was, I think, frustrating for me about being in the political world was that there are restrictions on your behavior as well there should be, as well as we are seeing now from a president that does not put restrictions on his own behavior. There should be restrictions. You are a professional. You are representing people. It does matter how you come off. Um, and I think what's kind of liberating about a podcast with comedians talking about politics is like we have no boss uh, <laughs> and nobody cares. You know what I mean? Of like, oh, that wasn't appropriate. Like no, everything's appropriate. And so I think um, that's why, you know, people call like comedians truth tellers or whatever. And that's the, on- the only reason that they're considered truth tellers is because they just don't have a boss with like yeah. restrictions on their on their behavior and and how they're supposed to represent themselves. And so I feel like it's it's a liberating way of doing it. So do you still have rules for yourself or are you willing to say or do whatever you want? Oh, I mean, I have my own like ethical boundaries. And one of them is um like I guess if if I were to name it, it's a philosophy called uh 
being aggressively delightful because I, I don't like to just take a crap on people that you know, think differently from me or whatever. And and most of the work, you know, whenever I, I travel the country um, and I do shows all over and, and, and tour the country doing movies, making a movie and stuff like that. So I've met a lot of people. I've been in Laramie, Wyoming. I've been in Birmingham, Alabama. I've been in Columbus, Georgia. You know, I've, I've encountered uh, red America, if you will. And as a Muslim, I've been protested at places and, my rule is to be aggressively delightful because I don't understand the context in which they've grown up and I have to try and figure that out. And if they've been told forever that like Muslims are terrorists and Mexicans are trying to steal your job or whatever, then when they meet a Muslim and their their first question to me is like, so what did you think of 9-11? By the way, a question I've gotten multiple times. Probably. Uh my first reaction is not like to have, you know, rage at them, which I think is really the popular reaction to things these days, especially with like the Twitters. Yeah. Um, my reaction is to be aggressively delightful <laughs> and be like, OK, that's an interesting question. Like, I actually thought 9-11 was super horrible. Um, why did you ask that? Why, like, you know, what makes you ask that question or whatever? And just to like actually try and understand where they're coming from. And that's my personal guiding, you know, ethic. Uh, so th- that's one of my, I think, personal rules. I feel like that's a super strong and fascinating philosophy. It also has to be exhausting, though, right? It is. I mean, it because it's... It's interesting. It is and it isn't because I also think rage is exhausting. Mm. I actually might think that rage is more exhausting than trying to be friends with people. <laughs> um, like I and I mean, look, I'm an extrovert like yeah. cards on the table, guys. I don't want to lie to you. I'm an extrovert and I, en- we I enjoy- really hoping that you would open up in this interview. <laughs> Get you out of your Very disappointing. <laughs> um, and I like people. So so when I meet people, even if they're like, you know, asking me um, what I think of 9-11, I'm just like fascinated by that. You know, like I was really good at online dating. Everyone hates it. And I like thought it was really fun. Like, I thought it was really fun. Because even if I saw a guy that I was like, I will never in a million years make out with you. Uh, and I will never see you again after this 45 minutes of awkward drinking a beer. Uh, but I'm going to get a story out of you. Like there's something that happened in your life and that's interesting to me. That's and funny. So, I feel like I do that with online dating also, but that means I just go on really bad date. Like I don't know that I consider it successful, but maybe I just need to reframe it in my own head. <laughs> oh, there's so many stories. Yeah, there's like, a lot of good stories. But there's no just boyfriends. a lot of good stories. <laughs> <No. laughs> so Nikki, I want to go back to this thing you said because I think it's really fascinating and it plays mm-hmm. into a larger conversation I have with a lot of friends about their individual personal lived feminism in this moment in particular. Uh-huh. We hear a lot, right? Like, no, we should be mad. We need to be right. mad all the time. And that is the way to be a quote unquote good feminist is to bring that rage to the table. And I think there's certainly a time and a place and moments where that is the right course of action, right? Yeah. But this idea that we all need to be outraged about everything all the time, to your point, is exhausting. And I wonder when you've gone out and done this, when you've gone out into the world and instead of reacting to something that feels like an insult with rage, you've reacted with kindness. Is it because rage begets rage and kindness begets kindness? 
<laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's just definitely it. Uh, and it's interesting because when you start like just opening yourself up to people, they in turn open themselves up to you. So suddenly the thing that was uh, this perceived barrier, you know, I mean, you know, it's interesting because this guy once asked me, like, why do you call yourself Iranian American? Why can't you just call yourself American American? And he was, um, you know, on his like way to work, he's wearing a suit and a tie and like a white guy. And he's like the prototypical dude that like, you know, he's probably like in his 50s or 60s, like a, you know, different generation. Um, And there you'd think there'd be like definitely nothing in common with us, you know. Um, But it's like, I, I don't know. I took the time to have a conversation to like to like explain to him why I call myself Iranian American, and it's like it's hard for him to get it. Like he's he's been here, his family's been here for generations. He doesn't know what it's like to grow up like in an Iranian household and to eat different food and to like be Muslim about it and to like you know have different rules. Um, and so like for me to sit and explain that to him, and then you know, and then for him to be like, yeah, you know, it's funny. Like I, when I was in uh, college, uh, there's this guy on my floor who was uh, from Pakistan. And then he's like telling me about some Pakistani guy that he loved from college. And then it's just like I'm learning something about him. And it's like, it's, I don't know. It's like, that's now you're lovely. having a conversation. You're not now shouting at each other. Now we're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now we're having a conversation. And if I lived in uh, Augusta, Georgia, where this conversation took place, like I probably would have like been like, you know what, buddy, we're going to get a cupcake tomorrow. You know, yeah. like, well, let's turn this into like a real friendship. Why not? How do we have more of that? How do we have more of that bridge building of that conversation instead of shouting back and forth. I'll tell you, like, I'm the guy that goes into the deli and I'm pouring and I, you know, I was, I was in a deli the other day and it was like a bunch of different flavors of coffee, you know, self-serve. And it was like hazelnut, French vanilla, decaf. And, uh, and this woman like goes up and she does the, um, the French vanilla. And I literally said to her, Hey, that's a really good choice. And she's like, you know what <laughs> I was thinking? I, I thought like, do I want a little flavor? And so we just like had a ridiculous conversation, me and this woman about coffee flavors. And I think, I have a personal weird, I have this like every year, like a New Year's resolution to say things to strangers instead of just thinking it. So when a stranger has like a cute jacket or a stranger like doesn't makes an interesting order in front of me at, you know, (laughs) Starbucks, I literally will comment on it. And I know that makes me a little bit of like the crazy lady in the store or whatever. But then, (laughs) but, but actually it almost always turns out well. Nobody is like, oh, I wish you would just like, I just, why did this woman comment on my my beautiful jacket? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's never like that. And I feel like, so, because I think it used to be, and I'm inspired, there's this organization called Drinking Liberally where a bunch of like liberals and actually conservatives, just because it's fun, end up going to to drinking clubs basically around the country. There's 300 chapters around the country. And they just like talk about politics over a beer. Um, and I was inspired by uh, the founder, one of the founders, this guy named Justin Krebs. He's, you know, he's, he's a big adherent of the work of Robert Putnam, who's this uh, political philosopher out of um, Harvard. He wrote this book called Bowling Alone. And he talked mm-hmm. about like the fraying of community ties that were represented by things like the bowling league. So that's why it's called Bowling Alone. Yeah, so, social capital. Know, yeah. Social capital. Oh, a Robert Putnam fan. Yep. Nerds. Yes, indeed. Um, Nerds. Bobby Putts. Um, but he. <laughs> 
he, you know, so so I'm always concerned about the fraying of social capital, and I'm always concerned about like how do I increase it in my regular life? And there's dumb small ways of doing that, like knowing the people in your neighborhood, commenting on someone's sweater, and then there's also bigger ways of doing that, like showing up to an event, being in a book club, joining a bowling league, or whatever. And I think. In, increasing your actual face-to-face contact with other humans is the number one way to do it because there are people across town that have different philosophies from you, but there's also people literally just across the street. And if there's ways you can actually run into them uh, more and intentionally. And, and the thing is, your actual happiness level is going to increase because mm-hmm. uh, it's just more fun to like know more people and to like be to feel like, oh, you've got neighbors and they've got your back. So if rage is exhausting and you more often than not try to put yourself in that aggressively delightful position, when do you get mad? Oh, um, I mean, I get, I was like, it's, you know, in the current political climate, I get mad all the time. I just try and like channel it in a different way um, because of my heart rate. I mean, you can't be like, oh, here's a Muslim band, like, and, and, and me to be like, oh, you know, corns and rainbows. Like, that's not how it works. I still get mad. Um, but I just try and channel it in a, in a, in a way that I think is hopefully more productive and just generally better for my blood pressure. I think that is wise for sanity's sake to not be mad all the time. A friend of ours, a friend of the show, Jen Brendel, who actually started a company called Harkin that is trying to get newsrooms all across the country to be better listeners to their communities. Mm. Part of how she created this idea and tried to bring it into newsrooms, but really just into the public conversation is that she was working at the Baha'i Temple here in the Chicago area. Uh And there's this concept in the Baha'i faith that there's a finite amount of energy that we have in each day to spend and we can spend it tearing things down or building new things. And we're constantly deciding how to strike that balance. Yeah. Um, can I tell you guys a lovely thing about Ramadan? Yeah. Um, yes. It's uh, people always associate it with fasting and stuff like that and, you know, whatever uh, terrorism. But it's actually one of the things that happens during Ramadan um, is, you know, you're, you're supposed to give up anger. Wow. And it's kind of lovely, right? Um, Dude. You know? Yeah. And and you're hungry during the day, so like anger's like not going to help you. You have to give up anger and hanger. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like, it, yeah, there, there are these um, interesting mechanisms, uh, old, old, old school resolutions that we can look at and, and kind of follow their lead. Yeah, that's really good. I might try that, but it sounds hard. <laughs> it is hard. It's, it's it's especially 2018 hard. I like aggressively delightful. You know why? why? It reminds me of Leslie Nope. I could see that. You know, a friend of mine recently, like probably three weeks ago, told me I was aggressively friendly, and I kind of got worried about it. Oh, no. But then I had this conversation with Nagin and was like, oh, it's all good. Yeah, now you're this. in good company. You're in the company of <laughs> yeah, Nagin, cool. Leslie Nope. <laughs> I would put Lin-Manuel Miranda in this camp that's of aggressively true. delightful. Yes. All the best people it's are. It's good. Yes. Let's do this. In just a minute, we'll talk with Nagin about her awkward high school days, which were particularly awkward, <laughs> even for Nerdette. Exquisitely awkward, even for Nerdette. 
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. McGee, do you remember the first time you thought you might be funny? I do actually like have the like an exact memory of when I kind of felt like I, that I might be funny. I mean, I was kind of like a really silent child. I mean, I didn't actually like I was I was like pretty quiet um, until I got into high school, and then things started to change with my body and uh, with my <laughs> and emotions your mind. <laughs> and my mind. And I uh, I was in drama class, and I had this, um, and I auditioned for this this uh, musical called Once Upon a Mattress. Oh, yeah. I know that show. Yeah. Um, and it's this, you know, big grand musical, whatever. Our high school would always do one a year. And um, and I was cast as uh, not Kitchen Wench number one or Kitchen Wench number two, but I was cast as Kitchen Wench number three. Yes. And let me tell you, I wore it well. Uh, <laughs> I was on stage for maybe two and a half minutes and I got, I just did a, a, a weird scurrying like thing um, across the stage and, you know, said, oh no, like in a weird accent. And, um, <laughs> And people just like laugh. And I remember just getting this huge laugh. We had a pretty like serious um, theater department in my high school. You know, there's like this 500 person auditorium. And I just remember hearing this huge roar of laughter and just being like, oh, my God, I could literally say anything right now because these people are hanging on my every action. And I and I thought this is a this is a very powerful feeling. I could become with this. I could either be a dictator uh, or a comedian, you know what I mean? Like with this feeling that I have right now. And in either case, you're going to wear like some really awkward clothing probably. I feel like uh, dictators <laughs> and comedians like dress in a way where everybody's like, what's going on here? Well, there's those dictators that kind of get away with just like a nice windbreaker. You know what I mean? I could have <laughs> yeah. been one of those. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, there's awkward costuming in both scenarios. Um, and I, and you know, it's funny because I also, there was another moment in high school I was really, <laughs> I was really into mime, and um, as as we all have been. Let's make and, sure um, everyone knows that on. you said mime, <laughs> like where you pretend there's a box and there isn't. Pantomime. Yeah, 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 guys. I was really into mime. Deal with it. Uh, and I'm making it cool again. I uh, I did this whole mime recital, and I did two pieces, and one was like funny, and I remember like getting laughs or whatever. And then the, and I don't even remember what it was about. I'm sure I was trying to get out of a box. And then there was probably another box. I imagine there was wind, perhaps a rope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a rope. Maybe there was some stairs. I was possibly descending <laughs> down an elevator. Um, and uh, and then I did this really sad piece where, like, um, everybody was, like, in the audience just, like, weeping. And, like, a bunch of people in my family had died. I communicated wow. all of this through mime. I was quite excellent. Okay. And... Uh, I, I remember I walked off stage and um, I forgot 
and in my just in this moment of just like you know the audience applause like washing over me and this just feeling that I had really achieved something with mime and I walked off stage and I forgot that it was a raked stage and I fell and I broke my arm and so oh, no. I had to walk around school for the next couple of months with people being like oh was that like a sporting accident no 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 <laughs> no I'm sorry it was a miming accident thank you it was a miming accident oh, uh, so that goodness. was one of the more uh, stellar moments in my life but it really committed me to the to the art. <laughs> so was there all like, did you always know you wanted to do comedy? You went to Columbia and studied race relations during the day and were still doing comedy at night, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, and it, you know, in college I was doing, I was a double major government and theater. So I was always doing these two things mm. where I was like super into politics. And as a young, I mean, I, I remember walking into the living room one day when I was 11 years old and saying to my parents, guys, I figured it out. Like, I'm going to be the first Muslim president of the United States. You know what I mean? Like, and Barack Obama beat me to it, whatever. But like, <laughs> I, hey. That's a good one. He's wait, not wait, Muslim. Wait. What did your parents say? <laughs> You're 11 years old. You march into the living room. What do your parents say? They were just like, okay, get good grade. You know what I mean? They just, they were sort of like, have a fig Newton, you know, like, I don't know. They were like a healthy snack. Yeah, oh my God. They were all about healthy snacks. It was so irritating as a child. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, there's something, It's this, this is the funny thing about like being like the kid of like Iranian immigrants is that they're, in Iran, like good grades are not like, they're not congratulated. They're not celebrated. It's just you're a, you're supposed to get good grades, mm-hmm. and so and you're supposed to like just come in with huge declarations about your life. Like so, I like my parents were just like I would come in with like straight A. You know, I was a total nerd, and I would come in with these straight A's, and I'd be like, "Look, guys, straight A's," and they would be like correct you know what I mean like what's for dinner and like that was it I I just so my parents were never like you know in that they didn't show emotion did not express very much uh to me about my life choices in those early early days uh so yeah I always was into politics I always wanted you know and so I uh I was I was a president of the debate team I was vice president of the theater club Mm. um and then in like I said I double majored in college I was in a sketch comedy troupe in college that was just like my entire life um um, and then in, and then I went to grad school and I got I, I was uh, getting a dual master's degree in African-American studies and then also in uh, public policy. Right. So I was doing like real work with like real. I mean, the entire government of Japan had basically sent over all of their people to learn how to run governments at this program at Columbia. I was with actual adult people that were trying to like figure it out. Wow. <laughs> and they actual would be like, people. you know, they would wear like suits to class like ridiculousness right mm-hmm. and they'd be like uh you know let's have a study group like well you know let's figure this out we got to work on this you know these case studies and stuff and i'd be like um that's cute guys i've got a set downtown so like mm-hmm. i've got to go to this gig <laughs> um but like whatever i'll see you tomorrow you know so i had i was serious about it i was you know and i i'd say i was like a, you know a, a good student but i was i kind of always had one foot out the door even though i didn't want to admit it mm-hmm. um you know and and that i I, I interned for Charlie Rangel. I interned for Yale's Hillary Clinton. I, uh, you know, I interned for C-SPAN, not to brag. Um, <laughs> but then when I ended up getting a, a job as a policy advisor for the city of New York, like, I just didn't want to actually do the job. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Um, the comedy sort of, the draw of comedy was just too strong, even though I thought the mission, you know, I was working at the Campaign Finance Board, which was which was such an important institution in New York, um, and it's really like 
uh, could be the the guide of what we do in the country with campaign finance. Like campaign finance doesn't have to be this miserable thing where only rich yeah. people get to run for office and have a voice. You know? Are um, you sure though? <laughs> <laughs> And and so it's like that mission's so important, but then I was like, oh, but like I have to tell this fart joke tonight, <laughs> yeah. so I've got to go, you know, and and that's what it was. Yeah. So for you, it sounds like you did all this study to get expertise in the political process, but then when you tried to work within the political process itself, it was too far from that moment, that feeling, that laugh, that applause, which you thought was a way to drive power, right? Like, it's just too many steps removed from that endorphin rush. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Which has worked out for me, but it's sad because the real work is the details, you know what Mm. I mean? (laughs) Is like sitting in a cubicle and crunching numbers, which is what I did, you know? I was like looking at the minutia um, of campaign finance and I, and it was, and it's so important and it's just like I needed the endorphin rush. Yeah. So I have one final question for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Nagin, which is, would you ever run for office? Oh, absolutely. It's like something I think about for like my later little bit of a later years. Um, and, uh, you know, I I'm, I'm, I try and like follow what's really going on locally at the council level here in New York City, um, at the, you know, at the citywide level, that even at the state level. Um, I'm so I think about it all the time. I think about Congress. Uh, basically, I'm asking for your vote in the year 2034 or whatever. Uh, so, yes, please. You heard it here please. first, folks. You heard it here first. I will run for something eventually. Fantastic. Excellent. Looking forward to 2034 or whatever. Sounds great. <laughs> Man, I just can't get over that mime injury. That really is something. A miming accident. (laughs) Can you imagine? No, it's fantastic. That's like the most exquisitely nerdy injury I can conceive of. Character building incidents right there. (laughs) Yeah, that is true character building. It's true. Coming up in just a minute, you might be able to guess what Nagin's homework is. Should I spoil it right now? No spoilers. And now, time for homework. So, Nagin, this is perfect because we usually do a thing where we ask our guests to give our listeners homework. Yeah. You know, because nerds. This can be something for all of us to do or watch or listen to or consider. And I think you actually have already done it. I think we should all try to be aggressively delightful. Yeah. Good nerd. I think that's really good homework. Like, increase your FaceTime with humans. Like, in real life, not FaceTime the app, but, like, just talk to people <laughs> in the world. Yes. 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 Do that. Make friends. And just make acquaintances. And talk about the weather. It literally... Literally, even that, I love talking about the weather. Me too. I'm obsessed with it, in fact. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things. Nagin Farsad, thank you so much for coming on Nerdette. Thank you, guys. You guys are so delightful. I love talking about the weather. Yeah, you really do. I I talk about the weather with my smart speaker a lot now.
Do you really? Mm -hmm. Do you like commentate on it though? Or is that more just like, tell me what's happening? Okay, thank you. I feel very... I feel like the smart speaker... You're going to say the smart speaker is your friend, aren't you? No, I feel like I do this thing (laughs) where I like sort of bark commands at it, but Mm. then I feel bad because even though it's a robot, (laughs) it still feels impolite. So I've started saying like, hey, Google, please tell me the weather instead of, hey, Google, what's the weather? Do you start with like, hey, Google, good morning. How you doing? I mean, I... What do you think about that weather? Can I be honest? (laughs) Yeah. When I leave my apartment, I say, hey, Google, stop music. Hey, Google, have a good day. Oh. Because it feels like rude to not say goodbye to the robot that lives in my house. Does Google respond when you say have a good day? Yeah. It either says like, you too, or catch you on the flip side, whatever that means. Huh. Which I think is clever, but also alarming because soon they will rise up. It's not like, you, Trisha. (laughs) No. (laughs) Not yet. But here's my point. The robots will eventually take over. Yeah, man, you don't And they'll want remember that I was one of the ones who was polite. <laughs> you think they will, though? You think they'll differentiate between the humans when they take over everything? <laughs> I think if they learn vengeance, they should also learn compassion. Artificial mm. intelligence requires both. Anyway. <laughs> deep thoughts here at the yeah, end man, of the show, wow. which is produced I... by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. For now, along with Justin Bull, <laughs> until it's just the robots. Our executive producer is Brendan Manazak, and our intern is Stefania Gomez. Until the robots take over. Until the robots take over. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, <sighs> follow us on NPR One, or you can listen in the WBEZ app. Until the robots take over. You could probably still do those yeah, things I guess once it's that's the robots. True, that's still robots. <laughs> if you're not a robot, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Amarok Star 19 for the review. No, just nine. What? You put a one in there. I promoted them. <laughs> Ten ranks. From nine to 19? Yep. Okay, fair enough. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast. And we have a newsletter which is not written by robots. This week, we will have some additional reading in case you're interested in social capital. We'll also have a link to Nagin's TED Talk and her podcast and all the good things. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Don't be a robot. And, like, be nice to robots. And be nice to robots. And strangers. And strangers. There you go. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.